You can turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, we're going to be getting there in a little while, but that's really the first full chunk of Scripture we're going to read this morning. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 5. Well, as many of you are probably aware, today is Father's Day. We got any fathers out there? Anybody who's ever had a father? Just, it's, that's everybody, by the way. Um, today, today's, today's Father's Day. And you know, this past week, I got to spend some time with kids. We went away to Colonial Williamsburg and did the whole touring, sightseeing thing. And um, just uh, playing with the kids, helping them, trying to organize them, get them under control at some times, and uh, spending time with them. And uh, as we walk around, Hannah and I will often discuss like the differences with each child. You know, William is this, and Kate is this, and Elizabeth is, well, Elizabeth. And Lydia is developing this uh, wonderful personality as well. And we'll, we'll laugh and joke about the differences. And then as we meet people, like this past week, as we, um, uh, man, everyone that I know have commented on how well-behaved my children were. And I was like, what children are you talking about? You know, like, but, you know, they would notice, like, hey, you got three blondes and a, and a brunette, and why is that one different? And you guys aren't blonde, and how do you have blonde in your family? And like, all these discussions about the children and the differences, and it's, it's really neat how God has created us as individuals unique before him. And even within our family, there's a great deal of diversity. We've been talking about God's design for humanity and how God created everyone in His image. And as we look at humanity, we see a great deal of diversity among the human family. Just as we see um, in our relatively similar nuclear family, there are a lot of differences. But across the family of the human race, there are many, many differences. And these differences are a blessing, and they enrich our lives. And we're going to focus this morning as we ask the question about humanity, like who are we? What is it that God has put us here for? What are we supposed to be and what are we supposed to do? This morning we're going to look specifically at the idea of the unity of the human race. How should we look at all of humanity from a biblical worldview? So far, we've talked about the origin of humanity and we look specifically at Genesis chapter 1, and we saw that God created humanity in His image so that mankind would rule and reign over the earth. They were to partner with Him. They were to be co-regents, co-rulers with God. And it says in Genesis that God created them in His image, both male and female, and He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, right? We saw this, this grand story, this grand creation, and this grand blessing that God has for humanity uh, just a few weeks ago. You can go back and, and check those out. We continue with this idea that the Bible really emphasizes the unity of the human race because we have one source. We have one source of origin for life, and that is God in heaven. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, Paul is praying and he's talking about the Jews and the, Jew, and the Gentiles. So basically the Jews and all the nations who are not Jews and how it's always been God's design to save everyone, not just Jews, 
who thought they were God's you know, chosen people and everyone else were, were, was less than. But, but God really was through the Jews seeking to save the entire human race. And Paul is talking about this, this mystery that's now being revealed in the church about how all these people are coming together uh, to worship God and, and to be saved from their sin and to be saved from death. And Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So as he's praying that, that people would know the power of God's love, that they would be deeply rooted in it, and their lives would be enriched by the love of God, he, he, he prays to the Father of all humanity and says, everyone on earth derives their name from God. We all come from Father God. We see this emphasized in Acts chapter 17, this is a passage that we've gone back to over and over again as we've talked about this idea of worldview and sharing the gospel with those around us who need to hear it. And we see Paul in, in, the book of Ath- in the book of Acts in the city of Athens, and he is addressing their concerns and their needs. He's correcting their ideas. And he says in verse 26 to 28, it says, From one man, God, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And he goes on and says, we are all his offspring. Again, emphasizing that that from one man, Adam, God made all the nations of the human race. And we see that there are some divisions. As As we look at the Bible, we can go back to the Tower of Babel, where basically mankind was trying to set themselves up as God, and, and God uh, uh, confused the languages, and basically these, these people groups were scattered a- across the earth. And so we look at, these, uh, at history, and God has set out appointed times and places for each people and, and, and different places on the earth. There are differences, and as people are in different spaces apart from each other, they, they develop different languages, they develop different cultures, uh, different ways of doing life, but we all have our source in God. It says that in Him we live and move and have our being, that He is the Father of us all. So as we think about what we might say to our nation today, as we think about what we might say to our society today, as we think about what we might say to the world today, the message of Christ is everyone is created in the image of God. And the, the, the uniqueness and, and the differences, they are created to be a blessing and to enrich our lives, not divide us and bring us into conflict. Not that we would seek to exercise power over another person or another place, another nation, but rather we would treasure the gifts that God has given us. That when we look at all of humanity and we see these different people groups, different uh, people from different nations, people who look differently than we do, our desire should be to honor them as creatures made in the image of God. Since this is the case, how is it that we ought to live? Well, Scripture has a lot to say about this. It is our responsibility to do what is right and to love everyone with whom we come in contact. 
In the Old Testament, God set up the nation of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He took the, the family of Abraham and he multiplied his descendants. And he set up this nation of Israel and he taught them how they were supposed to act with other groups. This nation was supposed to be a light to the other nations to draw them to God. Yet they separated themselves and they treated um, others poorly. But, but God was very concerned about different groups of people. And we look here, and he says that you need to make sure that you're exercising justice and you're seeking to care for those who aren't from where you are. It, we see over and over and over again in the law, these are just two examples. We could go through many, many more, but we see these kinds of ideas. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. In other words, he's reminding them, you've all been at another place at, a, at another time, right? Like, you came up out of the land of Egypt. In, in Egypt, you were, you were enslaved, you were oppressed, you were taken advantage of. You need to remember that because the nation that you're living in, you're not supposed to act like that. That's, that's not how it's going to be. If there's a foreigner living among you, someone who is not from around here, you need to treat them well. He says in Leviticus 19, this is the, the famous passage we get, love your neighbor as yourself. He's expounding on these ideas. He says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's reminding them, this is how I want you to live. I'm your authority, I'm the Lord your God, and this is how you're supposed to live. And you're supposed to treat people fairly. Like there's supposed to be this equal playing field. And you're not supposed to take advantage of other people. There should be no pride. There should be no discrimination. But rather, what should characterize God's people is love and compassion. No matter where someone came from, no matter how different they may uh, be, you're supposed to show love and compassion. Now, this is a message that our world needs to hear. There's a lot of division in our world. And there are lots of questions that this kind of thing raises. We have questions that, that we have to answer politically. We have questions that we have to answer economically with, with, with social status and all these types of things. But what we're looking at today is the foundational principles of how we can approach tackling the practical problems. We're talking about this unity of the human race. And as we read Scripture, the place where this unity is put on display most is supposed to be in the church, in the family of God. Again and again, God affirms this idea of inclusion and building bridges because he has come to save all of humanity. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28 says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're God's offspring. We're his children. Like if we've <coughs> put our faith in him, we have been welcomed into his family. We are considered 
uh, children of Abraham by faith. We're part of that family. And, and it says that you were all baptized into Christ. And this is key because the idea of baptism speaks to the concept of identity. Uh, you know, we, you fill out those forms, right? And we had to fill out some forms recently. It's like, what is your nationality or what is your race or whatever? And we're encouraged to think about our identity in different ways in our society, whether it's our nation of origin, our skin color, our uh, sexual orientation. We're encouraged to think about identity in many different ways. But what this is saying is that the way that you ought to think about your identity as a follower, follower of Jesus is that you belong to him. That is the primary source of your identity. And this idea of baptism then, the word means to dunk or to, or to soak. And so when they would dye a cloth, let's say you had a, a white linen and you wanted to make it purple or some other color, you would dip it or you would baptize it in that dye and it would come out a different color. And this is the picture here, that you, no matter where you came from, have been identified, you've been baptized into Jesus, and now your primary source of identity is Jesus Christ himself. He says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In other words, when it comes to your salvation and when it comes to your position before God, these distinctions, doesn't, these distinctions don't matter. Everyone has access to the throne of grace through Jesus. Let's read Colossians chapter 5. Excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Here Paul is speaking to this church, and it's people from all different backgrounds. People from all different social statuses. And he's saying, you need to rid yourself of the old way of life, anger and malice. That you need to put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator, right? We are created to be like Him. We are created to uh, represent Him on the earth and His image to exemplify His character, His goodness, His justice in the world. So get rid of that junk and put on the new self and be like God. He says here there's no Gentile or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, so whatever your religious status is, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here's the thing. Like, 
What's the most like pejorative term that you could call someone of a different place, right? Like if you were a Scythian, like that's a man, can be imagined. It's like, hey, you're a Scythian and your place is so terrible that we just know you by Scythian and we're just going to like marginalize you and ignore you because because your people where you come from, that's awful. And we're not interested. Like that that's the idea here. Is there like categorizing people where they come from or what their background is. And he says that's not the way it's supposed to be in the church. Again, Christ becomes that primary source of identity. Now, as we think about these things and we look at this in practice, it doesn't mean that you cease to be Jewish or you cease to be a Gentile or you cease to be circumcised or uncircumcised or uh, slave or free. It's not like all those categories are, are completely washed away. It's that they take a back seat to being in Christ. As we look at the early church, we see the Jews still doing Jewish things and the Gentiles still doing Jew, Gentile things because they come from different cultures. And there's this, these natural differences and there's nothing wrong with that. But the primary source of identity is Jesus Christ himself. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who you are, put on compassion and kindness and humility Gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace. He's looking at this group of believers in Colossians and saying, you're from a lot of different places, you've got a lot of different backgrounds, high society, low society, free, slave. You guys are called to live this way, not in the way that you once lived. So as we live in the family of God, we're told to pursue peace. Again, we referenced Ephesians a few minutes ago. He's talking about how, how the, the Jews, um, God, God was seeking to save people through the Jews by sending the Messiah through the Jews. And God is bringing them together into one household. It says in Ephesians 2.15 that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Right? God is taking these two groups of people, Jews and not Jews, that pretty much all of us, I think, right? And he's saving them through the cross. So we kind of laid out some framework that I believe we all understand. Everyone is created in God's image, that we're to seek justice for everyone, no matter where they come from, that we're to care for everyone, no matter where they come from, that as the family of God, this unity is to be put on display for all the world to see. Like, as the church, we should be the most unified group. We should say, this is the path forward. This is how we can live. And there's some practical questions. And I can't answer all those practical questions today. There's a lot of discussion that has to be had. But I think that there is some framework in Scripture that how we might go about wrestling with some of the practical issues. I, I believe there's, there's a case study for us to look at. And specifically, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 this morning. We're going to look at one more passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So I want you to go ahead and turn there. In those days, it says, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, 
it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so here we have this scenario in the early church. Now, remember, this is the beginning of the church. This is, this is very early on. And we have a threat to the life of the church. There's a potential division here, a potential church split that could happen if this is not handled properly. There's, there's something going on. And it says here that the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now, their complaint is that there's this daily distribution of food or possibly money uh, to take care of the needs of the widows, and some of their widows are being overlooked. doesn't seem to be that it's intentional. It might just be the natural consequence because these are two different groups of people. We think about these groups of people. First of all, the Hellenistic Jews. That means like Greek-speaking Jews. So Jews that were living in Jerusalem, they probably had moved back into the area. They were not originally born there. If you remember in the history of God's people, there was a time where God allowed the Israelites to be conquered and the Israelites were scattered all over, right? They were carried off into exile. And so you have to imagine that there were people, there were Jews living just out among the nations, right? And at some point, they picked up the Greek culture, they picked up the Greek language. They're still Jews, but they're speaking Greek and these types of things. And they moved back into Jerusalem. Now, on the other hand, you've got the Hebraic Jews. These Jews are speaking Aramaic, the language of the day. They, they read Hebrew. Um, they have their own culture. They're basically the hometown crowd, right? This is, this is the in crowd. This is the group of people who uh, was, was born in the area. They've lived there. They, they have established roots there. And so what we have are kind of like, even though they're all Jews, two different ethnic groups, two different people groups, all right? And there's this problem between them, and they're saying, hey, our widows over here, the, the outsiders, they're saying our widows are being overlooked. And again, maybe it's just because they didn't speak the same language. Maybe like they were just getting their wires crossed. There's maybe no intentional slight here, but for some reason, they're being overlooked. And so the apostles have to solve this problem. We, we can't have widows being overlooked. We, we need to figure out how we're going to handle this. And so they gather, not just the ones who are complaining, and I don't mean complaining in a bad sense, but they, don't, they gather those who are bringing the, the complaint, and they gather those who are being complained against, and they all get together, and the apostles say, hey, listen, we've got a job to do, and that is prayer and the ministry of the word, and um, to solve this particular logistic problem and the administrative problem would take us away from our primary work. So we need to gather a group of people who are going to do this so that we can do what we are called to do, Right? So this idea of waiting on tables, it could have been serving food or potentially it could have been collecting money to distribute so that people could buy food, right? These are the ideas. And so their proposal is, we're going to choose seven men from the group 
from the whole group, not just one group, but seven men from the whole group. And there are qualifications for these men. They need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. In other words, their qualifications are not where they come from, but their qualifications are their connection with God and their ability to discern what is right and to see that it's done, right? Okay, it's interesting here. It says the proposal pleased the whole group. Both sides in this complaint, both sides in this conflict are like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then seven people are named. They picked seven people. They found qualified leaders. Now, it's interesting as you read these names. We, we, we can't prove this for sure, but as you read these names, every one of these names is a Hellenistic name. Every one of these names is from the group that was being overlooked. And especially when you read like this one guy here, he was a, a convert to Judaism, right? His name was Nicholas from Antioch. So it seems that in order to solve this problem, they looked at the group that was overlooked and they picked all leaders from that group to make sure that those widows were not overlooked. In other words, they listened to what their problem was and they found qualified people from that group, not just to oversee that group, but to oversee the whole thing so that no one would be overlooked. And the qualifications were not that they were just from that group, but they followed the Spirit of God and were full of the wisdom of God. They prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they set them free. They released them to do the work. And as a result, the church was not split, there was no divide, there was no division, but rather the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. See, we see the church putting unity on display by solving this problem that's created by diversity. Because while diversity, these different gifts that God has given us can be a great blessing, they also create challenges. Try to talk, someone to, uh, try to talk to someone who speaks a different language than you. It's difficult, right? Diversity also creates challenges. And the way that we go about solving them needs to be guided by the Spirit of God and the principles of justice and love and care. And we need to identify people who are seeking God and doing the right thing so that these conflicts can be resolved. That it's our job to actively seek peace, to reconcile differences, and if there's something wrong, it needs to be corrected. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, if we see a wrong, it needs to be corrected. Now, again, this doesn't answer every question that we, have, uh, that we face in our society in terms of particular problems. But I believe that, that what we've talked about today is a, a framework, a biblical framework for thinking about the issues that we face and how we might honor and serve one another in love the way that Christ honors and serves us. So let's just sum this up today. As we talk about the unity of the human race, it's every nation of the human race is created in God's image. That from one man, God made all nations of the human race. And God doesn't make distinctions. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to believers in the church, yes, you might still be from America, or you might be a Virginian, or you might be a Stantonian. Is that the right word? I don't know. I, I found a non-Stantonian yesterday because she pronounced it Staunton. But, uh, but anyway, like, like you retain your identity, 
but it takes a back seat to what Christ has done in your life. And he becomes the primary source of your identity, the primary way that you describe yourself, the primary way that you find uh, your sense of being, that he defines you, not what the world says. And so God doesn't make these distinctions in his church, and as his church, we are called to put on display his care for every individual that he's created and to pursue justice and peace. The church is God's place to show the world how we all might live together in peace and unity and justice. This is what we are called to. This is what we ought to seek in our daily lives as we interact with other people, that we honor everyone as a creature made in his image. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for an opportunity to study your word together. And Lord, as we've talked a lot of theology today, I pray that you would begin to show us the ways that we can put this into practice. Lord, each of us finds ourselves in different situations, and there are ways that we need to apply this. And your Holy Spirit will guide us in each of those moments. God, we pray that your will be done here on this earth, and that your reign would be magnified. Lord, that we would come to you as our Father in heaven and that your name would be treated as holy and that your will would be done. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our world. That as there are conflicts, as there are divides, we pray that the love of Christ would build bridges and bring reconciliation because you are the one who reconciles the world to yourself. We pray that it would be done in Jesus' name. Amen.